podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Face Off, I'm your host as ever Guy Drinkle and today we're going to be covering the first defeat of the Premier League season which is against Manchester City, there's quite a lot to talk about in this game unfortunately I don't have a Man City fan, I asked one then when we lost I didn't feel like asking another one (laughs) Um, (laughs) but joining me, I mean I only have the one Liverpool fan as well but it is Tadiwa so he's he's pretty much the voice of two men, how are you (laughs) Tadiwa? Yeah not too bad, had a few days to calm down so that always helps. Exactly, exactly so I mean that's what we like on face off, a bit of uh, calm analysis and stuff but I mean even just reliving it, it's still got its annoying patches. But we'll start. It, well, we won't start in the usual fashion. I'll ask you your your reaction to our first loss of the season, I suppose, because I mean, it's not been a long time coming because we pretty much not looked like losing most of the season. But um, what what's your reaction to us finally losing in the in the Premier League season? I, I generally always thought it was going to happen at some point in time. To be honest, um, I don't think people give enough credit to that invincible season mm. um, that Arsenal had. That is, it's virtually impossible to go a whole season undefeated. I mean, I mean, it, it's 38 games against, um, you know, very, very competitive teams. At the very least, um, you know, 10 of those games are toss of the coin when you're playing against the top of the top six where you could easily lose any of those. So to go 38 games undefeated, I really didn't think we were going to be able to do that. Um, especially once the fixtures got a bit more frantic with, um, you know, maybe if you go a bit mm. further in the Champions League and stuff like that, maybe you start resting some of the sellers, you know, you, you might lose a game there. Um, even just the fact that Alisson, Van Dijk and Salah played every minute since I think December the 7th or something. So, I mean, those are probably our three key players in the team. Yeah. Whereas I don't know how many of the, the latter games of the season, if we do go for in, in the other competitions that they will all three play together. So I, I did always factor in that we were going to lose at some point And then it was just about how we react after we lose. Yeah, I mean, whilst you just mentioned it there, I mean, what is your what what is your feelings towards the champion? I think mean, I'm not sure if you've seen it, uh, but I think mean, I think it was a video that had Paul Merson on. He said Liverpool should pretty much just screw off the Champions League and make history winning the Premier League. Like I can understand that way of thinking, but obviously Klopp's going to take the Champions League seriously. He's obviously against Bayern, it's probably the most hated team, and. and a team like us expect to take the Champions League seriously, but I mean, would would you sacrifice the Champions League to give us the best shot at winning the Premier League? I'm scared with Klopp that he might not even sacrifice the FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> like knowing him, you know, he he seems to always put a relatively strong squad up whichever game he plays. Um, I think that's just in his nature. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few eyebrows raised this weekend over who starts um, that Wolves game. But personally, at the beginning of the season, before the season even started, I thought this was Liverpool's best chance of winning the Premier League, both with the signings that we had made and then also just the environment of the top six. Man United were in turmoil before the season started. Um, Arsenal were having a new manager. They needed to bed in. Um, Spurs hadn't signed anyone and, you know, they've done amazing this season to, to be where they are. But I always thought at the end of, by the end of the season, they're going to tail off. They're just going to be too tired because they just don't have the bodies. Um, Chelsea had a new manager coming in. I thought it would need a bedding in period. I'm more worried about them next season. And, and then, did I forget him? Oh, um, obviously Man City. It's very hard to win back to back Premier League titles. And also the fact that they're going to be going all out for the Champions League. This is the trophy they've wanted since their owners came in, basically. So, And they brought Pep in for that reason. 
So I thought they might have half an hour more on the or on on the champion in the Premier League. So ideally, we were the best positioned. So going into the season, I I said from the go, as long as we get out of the groups, because there is always that bad feeling if you don't make it out of the groups, and a club like Liverpool is expected to come out of the groups. So as long as we came out of the groups, I I don't mind losing in the Champions League purely because this is our best chance to win the Premier League, and I don't think. Um, we might have as good a chance next season. Look, you could still go next season and win it, but I mean, in the sense of the environment of every other team, United probably mm-hmm. would have fixed their problems by then. Man City will definitely not just sign just the Mares. They will find, you know, cover for Fernandinho, and that's a scary thought. Um, you know, Chelsea would have been the second season of Sarri, and you can see how well they've done so far with him. Imagine after another season. You know, it's... It's just less of a chance, I think, next season. So I would have personally said, look, any other trophy, it's nice to be in it. It's cool if we get in it, but I'm purely about getting the Premier League title and I would rather be, you know, putting all our eggs in that basket than trying to win the Champions League and then making it to the final again of a Champions League and just losing a final again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um we have to be honest, Klopp doesn't have the best record in finals, especially with Liverpool. So I don't know if I can take that whole journey again when we have such a strong position in the Premier League. I'd rather just focus on the Premier League and finally get that monkey off our back. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said there. The, 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 Premier, the Premier League, everything. I mean, I mean, this is going to sound stupid, but I've seen us get to three Champions League finals in my lifetime. It's almost boring now. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But yeah, I mean, the Premier League, I mean, I, I've not seen it in my lifetime. I think it's 29 years now. Uh, we, we need to do it. And as you say, the, the, the Premier League is never going to be this. Obviously, Man City are a historically good team, but other than that, it's never going to be that weak at the top. So I agree with what you said there. But we'll move on to the actual game. And that's enough avoiding the disappointment of what this game was. Um, so we'll, as, as we usually do, we'll start with the, with the team selection. And I mean, the only surprise really was the, the, the beautifully coined Brexit midfield. Um, but did, did you agree with that? I mean, there was many raised eyebrows, the fact that Fabinho wasn't playing. Yeah, this was my biggest problem of the whole game. Um, and it has nothing to do with the players in my, in, well, obviously they're on the pitch. So yes, they do share the blame. But for me, it was all about Klopp. Even before, um, the fixtures, I mean, before the team sheets were, um, laid out or anything like that, this game for me was always more looking at how Klopp handles it, what Klopp does than necessarily, you know, how the players handle it and how that, that works out because it was you know, it was a chance to to really make it a lot more comfortable. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, it it it's not the end of the world losing a game like this. So I thought he kind of had a free shot at Pep. Um, Pep was the one that had it all to do. Like he he was the one that had to win this game. Pep could not afford a draw or a loss. He had to win this game. So I I, I was interested to see how Jurgen Klopp was going to handle that whole atmosphere. And the whole situation and the scenario at hand. Um, the moment I saw that team sheet, I was so de- dejected. Mm. And, you know, we, we've all seen this, or some have seen the stats of this midfield away from home just doesn't work. They've lost five games in a row. Um, and then obviously now with this game, six games in a row for the, the midfield three of Henderson, Wijnaldum and Milner. And, Look, if you, if you, if when I assessed the team sheet, the moment I saw the team sheet, I thought Klopp is clearly trying to say, from my perspective, he was clearly saying, I'm backing my defense that we're not going to concede, you know, more than one goal because the whole season in his defense, this whole season, we haven't conceded more than one goal in the league, if I'm correct. So mm-hmm. you can see where his confidence is coming from that. No, it's fine. We're not going to concede because we, we just don't. You know what I mean? Um, and then hope that, you know, the front three get a, get a goal, you know, and we saw the money chance and I'm sure we'll get onto that earlier where 
if that goes in, then Klopp will turn around and say, you see, I did pick the right team. You know what I mean? Because now you're 1-0 up and you can execute your game plan as you had you know, pictured it. And fair play to him for having that belief in the team. But um, for me, if your, your mentality, and I'm putting myself in Klopp's shoes, the mentality of, okay, I'm going into that game banking on my defense and my attack, so it's clearly two ends of the field that he's banking on to say, my defense will hold them to at least one goal. I'm confident in that. And then my attack is good enough to at least score one goal. I think it's how he looked at it, where it will either we win at 1-0 or it will be 1-1 and it, it will be fine. Then at least help the defense and the attack out. At least put in a midfield. Because remember, you're playing Man City, who is going to be very aggressive in a press. So at least play a midfield that's comfortable on the ball. And, you know, the likes of um, Henderson and Milner, they're going to have very important roles in this team throughout the season. And you always have to preface, you know, to whenever you bring Henderson into a conversation, you have to give preferences before you say what you're going to say. Otherwise, one side of the, the coin is going to say, oh, you just hate Henderson regardless of what he does. And then the other side says, no, you just rate him regardless of what he does. But the thing is, off the pitch, Milner and Henderson are really important for the team in the sense of Henderson shoulders a lot of the responsibilities off the off the pitch. And Milner, because he's been there and done it, he's one of very few players in our squad, which I think overall is a big issue. But he's one of very few players in our squad who have gone on to win a, a, a Premier League title. So he knows how to go and win a Premier League title. He's had the ups and downs of a season. So he's the one, for example, after this game where everyone, every one of our boys in the dressing room are going to be looking to Milner for advice because he's been there and done it. Um, but on the pitch, their qualities did not suit the type of game Klopp should have anticipated from Man City, knowing that they have to come and win. Um, Henderson is one of the players that is a press trigger. Like whenever teams press, mm. they target him as one of the players. When he has the ball, that's when their players shoot. Um, they also target Lovren. Um, whenever he has the ball, you can see automatically teams are like, okay, now we press. So you knew Henderson was going to be under a lot of pressure in that game in terms of every time he got the ball, they were going to press him. Okay. Then you knew Milner, who has come off of an injury. Um, I think he only came back late this week. If, yeah, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he did. About yeah. two, two days before, before the game. Now, I think it's unfair to put Milner into a game that you know is going to be end-to-end, up and down, concentration levels, fitness levels need to be on point. To put him into a game where he's just come back two days before, I think is really, really unfair on the player. And the performance he gave was what I expected of a player that's come off of an injury. Like, it, he was behind the, the run of play the whole game. He was chasing the game, the whole game, it felt like. Um and then obviously Gini Wijnaldum, he, he warrants his position in the, in the squad because of the season that he has had fair play. But to not play Fabinho, I thought was criminal. You know, whether you have agendas of you prefer Henderson or you prefer Fabinho, it's not really about that for me, especially this season, as we said, where we're going for the title. It's not about whether I like a player or not. It's about identifying what you need in a specific game. If you're saying, I'm going to bank on my defense, to hold them, you need at least a midfield that can be comfortable on the ball to play it out of defense. Whereas we put in a midfield three that could not hold onto the ball. And the fact that he, they could not hold onto the ball just put so much pressure on our defenders. And then it just put so much pressure on Allison and it, it just played into City's hands. So for me, that whole mental, the mentality might have been right. But the personnel he chose was wrong. And then um, I, I thought City were looking... I thought um, Pep would have been smiling at, at that team sheet um, the moment he got it. I, I don't know how you felt. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. And I think the fact that we've seen in, in, in this run the, the festive fixtures and stuff like that, um, the fact that Fabinho just improves everyone around him... Um, I mean, Ginny Vijnaldum's obviously, I mean, he's getting lauded as, as the best midfielder this season. I think that, I think that's very fair. But since Fabinho started getting consistent minutes, I don't think it's a contest. 
since he's got in the team, I think Fabinho's just a level above every other midfield. I know Ginny's had a couple, like the Arsenal game, he was brilliant and stuff like that. But Fabinho's been pretty much in man of the match contention every game he's played. <laughs> it's, mm. it, it's just, it's just stupid for me. I mean, I was talking to a couple of mates after the game and obviously we were very frustrated with the team sheet. I think most people were. And for me, Fabinho should be one of the first names on the team sheet now. Um, I'm not going to say he's Alisson Van Dijk or Salah, but I, I think he, he could, he could easily get into that tier because the fact, I think the way, one of the ways you judge how good a player is, is his impact on other players. And Fabinho, I think it's fair to say he's been part of our best midfield performances. I mean, I'm not, I, I like Henderson. I didn't like him as a six, all that, all that jazz. So accuse me of agendas all you want. But he, I mean, that, that game where it was Fabinho and Henderson, I can't remember which game it was. I can, I, can, I barely know what day it is. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the fact that, that Fabinho got the best out of Henderson in a two-man midfield, which we've seen him struggle with in the past with, with certain partners. Fabinho is like, he's like got a man, one man mission to rejuvenate this midfield. I'm sure he could get Milner working in the midfield too, which is almost <laughs> an impossible task. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's very frustrating. I mean, especially the, the record, as you pointed out at the start of this point, is, is, is abysmal away from home. Uh, and the fact that Milner, he just, he didn't look fit, did he? I, I know, he, I know oh. he came back from an injury, but he looked, a yard off, and in Milner terminology, that's about ten yards off. <laughs> so it was just a very uh, and it was the, it, it was the Wolves game you were talking about when yes. they played the Fabinho Madison too. Um, and just to touch on the Milner thing, and this is why I was focusing so much on Klopp um, for this game is you look at, for example, Kevin De Bruyne. He's on the bench. He could have easily played De Bruyne in this game, but you could see he knew. The game that was going to to be played, and he and and Pep knew no, this he's just not going to be able to handle it. Um, whereas I suppose Klopp took the risk of he thought Milner could handle it, and then obviously it turned out he couldn't. So once again, it's 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 that moment where, and obviously it's easy to to talk in hindsight, but I thought especially if you if you you know go on Discord and and that type of stuff, um, I thought. There were a fair few amount of players. I know Gags was one of the the ringleaders, if you can put it in that way, of saying, "Look, I'm not happy with this midfield. Let's hope they can pull it off." But statistically, it shows it doesn't work. You know what I mean? So it's clear that this was something that you could foresee happening. It's it. it you know what I mean? So I'll be mm-hmm. curious to to hear from Klopp. Obviously, I don't think we'll ever get the answer, but I would have wanted to know why. Based on all the stats, based on all the previous games, as we said, the five games previous to this away from home, why he thought it would work. Um, clearly, he he was seeing something that uh, a lot of people weren't. Yeah, I mean, it'd be quite obviously journalists aren't going to question Klopp, but it would be nice to see if someone <laughs> did actually ask him about that. But we'll move on from the midfield because I think we spent a good ten, fifteen odd minutes on it, and we'll, we'll come on to some of the actual events in the game and kind of go on tangents from there so I think you mentioned it at the start I mean the real first effort on goal I mean there was a couple little things but nothing of any note really is Mane hitting the post and as you say I mean Man City I think it was fair to say controlling the game a bit then and then all of a sudden we hit the post um I'm not saying I want Sadio Mane sold or anything like that but He's a very annoying player in so many ways, isn't he? I mean, I think it's, un- I think obviously people put the front three into one bracket, but is Sadio Mane really on the level of other Bobby Firmino? Never mind a Morsal, because he's, he, he's definitely world class. Is he, is, is he on the level of a, of a Bobby Firmino? Because I, I reckon the other two would have scored that. Yeah, and the interesting thing with Mane is when you look at him, you know, especially if you look at him on paper, he has all the raw talents that you would want for a front player. You know, he's strong, he's pacey, his acceleration is frightening. He's got great dribbling. Um, but for some reason, he's just, there are times where you think, okay, he definitely should take a player on here, you know, um, and just skin him and, 
and you could see that Mane could easily do that, just dribble past mm. the player and then he'll pass the ball inside or he will, you know, he'll do something that you're not, that you would expect him not to have done. And it's similar with his goal scoring. Like Mane will score a, a worldie from outside the box. And then in this situation where one-on-one, you're probably putting your house on him to score there. You know what I mean? Um, but once again, for me, it, it stemmed from the fact that our plan was hope the front three do something magical. And that's what that build-up to to that money chance was. It was Salah coming deep. I think Salah got the ball at the halfway line, whereas he was meant to be our focal point up mm. front. But Salah drops deep to the halfway line to get the ball. You know, um, does a very good turn, quick turn, plays the ball into Firmino, who's halfway between the, the their box and the the halfway line. And Firmino does a very good one-two pass back to Salah, and Salah plays Mane through. Now, I thought Alisson, I mean, Edison did really well to come out quickly to close that angle down. Um, but you, you do still expect Mane to score there. And I, I suppose that's the difference in the game where Mane's shot that hits the post doesn't go in, where Sane's one later on in the game hits the post and goes in. It's those small margins in games, isn't it? But if he scores, you're looking at a totally different game. Um, also, the funny thing was, this is this is the importance, I suppose, of technology. Because if there was there wasn't goal line technology, I'm pretty sure linesmen and the referee are giving that as a goal. Because when you see the replay of the goal line technology, it was probably about a millimeter off, um, off mm. being a goal, and rightfully so, it wasn't given, which is the right decision. Whereas, how many times in years gone by where there wasn't goal line technology that clearly would have been given a goal and no one would have batted an eyelid. You, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, it, Mane, at the beginning of the season, he was looking like he was going to have a really big season. Um, I think he had like five goals in six games or something ridiculous like that. And he looked like he was enjoying the fact that everyone was um, paying attention to Salah. So all the defenders were marking Salah and was just giving Mane so much freedom to just do whatever he wanted. And then he sort of dovetailed a little bit and pops up with goals now and then. I just think maybe it's just a consistency thing with Mane. I don't know if it's to do with age or if he'll get better with age or if it's to do with just stylistically the player he is. But at 26 years of age now, 27 April, I think these next few years will be telling in terms of whether it's consistency or it's just the player because now he's entering his peak years as a forward player between 26 to 30. Um, so it will be interesting to see whether he can get that consistency. But yeah, I think frustrating because we know what he could be mm. is probably the, the key take point from that. Yeah, I mean, on on his day, he's probably one of the most unplayable players in the league. Yeah. and. It, you just we just don't see that enough. I mean, especially this season, we've not really seen it that much. I don't think we've seen it at all. We've not seen him at his terrifying best. I, on his best, he is up there with Salah. On, but on days we've seen too many times this season, he does one or two nice things in the game. And I'm, I'm, I know he's been highly lauded for his pressing this season. But if you're... I'm not going to say he's only offering pressing, but if your main thing you're offering to a game is pressing it, mm, it just kind of runs me up the wrong way it's getting into Lalana territory and that yeah you don't want me getting on that bandwagon <laughs> but um yeah i mean you you mentioned um the clearance off the line and uh, one centimeter and off the off the off the line and stuff but i mean what the hell was stones and that just doing <laughs> i mean it's just confusion between him and edison because i Edison had a weird game for me. It, it mm. looked like he wanted us to score at certain points in that game. But, I mean, just communication at the back. And it's little incidents like that that make me more frustrated about the the, the way we, we tactically went into that game because you can clearly see City are not confident at the back because a confident mm. team, either the keeper's collecting that or the defender's clearing it and both would have known which was the right call. But because they're so panicky at the back and because they're constantly changing that back five, um, Stones doesn't know whether Edison is coming or going or 
So he's just, as a defender, is thinking, let me just clear this. And then Edison, as the goalkeeper, is thinking, it's in the box. I have hands, so it makes sense for me to be the one to just cat, like gather this and calm everything down. So the fact we didn't go at them more in that first half, considering how frantic they were at the back, is, is a bit irritating. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't ask you about their starting eleven. I mean, what what did you make of Laporte playing at left back and obviously bringing on company? I mean, we didn't. We can also mention um, company's possible red card that I forgot to mention. Um, so yeah, what did what did you make what did you make of their not makeshift but rejigged uh, backline? I thought it was clever. Um, you look at the fact that maybe we'll start at the easier side, which was the right back. Um, Walker has not been playing well at all for, mm. for for a few a few games now. So obviously Danilo had to come in, and you know there were rumours of whether Danilo would go to the left and play Walker on the right, but I think it was wise just for a game like this, just don't take the chance on Walker because he has been quite prone to errors and leaving space. I think Danilo is a, li- a little bit more uh, football intelligent in making sure he doesn't leave too much space. And if you're playing Walker there, you're basically giving money license to run on that side. So that that was a clever move. And then to put, um, you can't have Otamendi in the center because Salah has had his way with Otamendi on so many occasions. So I think he was pretty much ruled out to to start that game. Then now you're looking at how you're going to solve the left back position, which obviously affects the middle. And yes, um, company when fit um, should play for City. I don't think he's anywhere near what he used to be, but he's still he's been there. He's done it. He's still got the mental side of the game. And company is clever enough to know when to roughhouse players, so he can get away with roughhousing players and. We obviously see with the yellow card later on in the game where he seems to be one of those players where referees think, oh, he didn't really mean that. You know what I mean? And <laughs> his yellow cards always come two or three challenges later than what other people's yellow cards come in, come in at. Um, he's got that John Terry-esque type of, type, type of thing in him where he'll just look at the ref like, oh, I'm sorry, I really didn't. And the ref's like, yeah, he definitely didn't mean that. And he just moves on. Which so that's important for a game like this, where you know they're going to be a lot of fouls in and around the box. Then Stones next to him, okay, you need the ball player next to him. That makes sense. Laporte on the left, I thought was really clever because you definitely do want to put Zinchenko in there, the youngster, because Liverpool would have just targeted him. And what Laporte does as currently City's best defender, and he's going to be. He currently is on form one of the better defenders in world football, and he's going to become one of the best defenders in world football. I have no doubt about that. Um, what you have there is you have a really good defender. It's just the fact that he's playing on the left, and it didn't ma- it didn't matter that he was playing on the left because Aguero was drifting to the left in attack. It it meant they were never outnumbered on that left hand side. It didn't need Laporte to overlap. Um, they had they had that area of the field covered, so you can afford to have a Laporta centre back playing left back if you know a lot of your midfield. So they sort of moved, if you can picture it, they moved their lineup slightly more towards the left, and mm. purposefully left Sterling on his own on the right because Sterling can handle himself on his own. Um, he's good enough to, you know, he doesn't necessarily need the help. He can dribble his way. He can sprint past people. So it was very, very tactically clever um, from Pep. And look, I'll preface it, I'll, I'll um, put it this way. Both these managers, if they played each other 10 times, it's very possible that one manager could win all 10, one manager could win all, the other could win all 10, or they could draw um, all 10. Like, it, it, it's it's pretty much like a heavyweight boxing fight where, one could just give one knockout blow. So it's just on this specific day, and I think it's important to note, we're only assessing this specific match, this specific day. We're not necessarily speaking bigger picture. I thought Pep on this day, he tactically outclassed Klopp. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's possibly fair to say. I mean, we mentioned the midfield. I mean, I, I was going to mention it later on. I, um, Robertson's getting quite a lot of lauded. I thought he was decent, but not 
I mean, I think the Echo gave him a nine, for example. I don't oh, think wow. he was, I don't think he was that good. Um, and Trent was that good. But tactically, I mean, the way we set up in midfield, as we mentioned at the start, I mean, this, this might get a bit boring and technical, but obviously we set up in midfield in that boring style, not really much creativity, which obviously puts more pressure on the fullbacks to create. And the goal aside, which was obviously magical, it was a form, we'll obviously get onto this in a bit. It's a phenomenal pass by Trent. And, and and it's a brilliant run by Robbo and a, and a nice um, cross slash pass. But outside of that, they just didn't really they didn't really add anything to attacking part of the game. Obviously, you got a defender as a defender, and I think both of them did that quite well, considering they're up against the two best wingers in the league. But we, tactically, we set up wrong. We gave we gave the two people on the pitch with the toughest jobs more. More responsibility in attack that didn't really make sense to me. Um, but yeah, we'll 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 come back we'll come back onto that on on the actual goal because that'll link in better to the fullbacks. But um, I think we do have to move on to the first conceded goal, and I imagine a discussion, which is probably the polite way of saying it, on on Dejan Lovren. But um, yeah, we see Aguero score. I mean, it is a world class finish. I, I, I imagine he's the only striker in the league who can score this type of goal. Um, because it, it's just br- it's brilliant movement and brilliant finish against one of the best goalkeepers in the league. But I mean, Lovren for me today. I mean, even the goals aside, he was just a mess in this game. He couldn't hold it. He couldn't hold a line. He was losing people all day long. I mean, Van Dijk was pretty much playing on his own at centre back. It, but the, the, this goal, he just he, he never had Aguero marked at any stage of it, did he? <laughs> And I think the, the the interesting thing is if you actually go and watch, um, obviously the the narrative has been oh Lovren has been playing well um, over the last few games where he's been in, but if you look at the amount of times that Van Dyke covers both Lovren and even Robertson, um, mm. it's incredible how as you said how much he makes everyone else better purely because. He's covering up a lot of their mistakes, actually. Um, so for me, anytime you have Lovren in a team for a long period of time, at some point in time, at some point in time, he's going to make a really bad mistake and it's going to affect him for the whole game. That's just who Dejan Lovren is. Um, I, I don't know the, I don't know the guy. Um, I, it has nothing to do with him as a person. I'm speaking purely as a footballer. If he's in a team for a, pre, a prolonged period of time, he's going to make a mistake. Everybody knows that. It's just a fact. And I never get angry whenever Lovren makes a mistake, purely because he's been, you know, um, I blame Klopp and I blame the transfer committee. It, it's just that simple for me. Um, maybe I'm simplifying it too much, but in the sense of Klopp has been at the club for what, almost four, four seasons now, I think. I think it's six transfer windows now. Yes. Ball mentioned that the other day. <clears throat> so you've had six transfer windows and Lovren is still a player in your team. Whether or not he's first choice defender or fourth choice defender, the fact that he's still in your team, you're, you've taken the calculated risk that at some point in the season he's going to have to play. Because you do, when you, you know, when you, when you look at your team, you have to look at, you know, fitness levels, um, the fatigue of players. So, at the beginning of the season, you look at the squad and you see how many minutes you're going to give each person. And also, you have to give minutes to people so that they don't go below their threshold threshold for the season. Otherwise, then you're risking injuries. You can't just throw in a player you know, um, where he hasn't played all season. So you're factoring in all of that and saying, at some point in the season, Lovren is going to get games. And the fact that Klopp took that calculated risk and said, it's going to be fine, um, him being in the team... He's been at the club since 2014, and he's still at the club today. So for me, that has nothing to do with Lovren, because Lovren is doing the best he can. Lovren is doing what Lovren does. And what Lovren does is he plays with his heart in his sleeve, and he does make mistakes at times. That's just Lovren. Whereas the fact that he's still at Liverpool, that's on the manager. That's on the transfer committee. You can't... I'm tired of blaming Lovren every time Lovren makes a mistake. At some point, you've got to ask, why is Lovren even in the conversation to be in the team? That's the issue for me. It has nothing to do with Lovren, because Lovren is only doing as well as he can. And it's similar to that argument we had 
or discussion we had earlier with regards to the midfield, there was a point in the game where Klopp was pointing, like they showed Klopp like pointing and screaming, and you could see he was talking to the midfield, saying like, "You got to have more control, like pass it around better, like move into the space." You can pretty much read what he's saying to them, and I'm sitting there, sort of, kind of laughing a bit because I'm thinking, "But the players you've put on the field." can't do that like really well so what's the point in screaming at them it's actually on you as the manager to know that i'm putting these guys in an unfair position and Klopp always speaks about you know i don't want to play the youngster because i'm putting him in an unfair position well you can't put in certain players to play a controlling passing game and those players aren't really good at it and then get angry at them for not doing it well like it doesn't make sense you can't get angry at Lovren for making these mistakes when we all know he's going to make the mistakes. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I fully understand. I mean, it's a, it's a much cooler way of <laughs> that I'd approach the uh, the discussion. But, I mean, I'll ask you, why, why do you think he's... Obviously, there is upsides to Lovren, and, and obviously he's part of the squad and seems to be friends with everyone, other football reasons and outside of football reasons, I should say. Um but why, why do you think he has kept him round? Because, I mean, I'll throw a theory at you, but do you think he's kept round? I'm going to add Matip into this as well. I don't think I prefer Matip to Lovren. I think that's long-standing. Nobody will be surprised I've said that. But mm-hmm. um, it is the only reason he's kept round Dejan Lovren and John Matip is that he do, they don't block the pathway for Joe Gomez. Obviously, we've seen um, the upside of that, that Joe Gomez was playing at a, a possible world-class level whilst yeah. he was fit. It, 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 is that the only reason we've not gone and signed a second uh, centre-back? That's a very good point, actually. Um, that that is a, That could be a very strong argument, and, and I think it is one that does make sense, because you can see the progression Gomez has, has made this season, and like you said, if a Koulibaly comes in, I don't think I, I think Gomez probably goes out on loan, to be honest. We don't even see him this season. But I, I have a feeling that for Klopp, Lovren is every manager has that one player where he's trying to prove to the world that this guy has all the, the attributes on paper and I'm going to show you that he's good. And, and managers will be de- very defined on that term. And you can see it... Um, for example, like for example, Pep Guardiola and Sterling have a relationship that Pep doesn't have with any other player. You can you can yeah, see yeah. even if you watch training videos of City, he's always talking to Sterling. And for some people, they'll be like, "Oh, because you know Sterling doesn't get ordered." No, it's because he can see how freakishly good Sterling could be, and the potential in Sterling. So he's trying to get as much out of him as possible. You know what I mean? And Klopp had, you know, and, you know, Mourinho is very prominent in having those type of players. I, mean, I think Mourinho took, um, Carvalho with him all around Europe. You know, he even brought yeah. him to Real Madrid at some point in time. Um, so, and then I think Harry Redknapp had Crankier or something like that. Like, you get these, these players that managers just gravitate to. And I think it's the same. I have a feeling that's Klopp's player for Lob- in Lovren. Not necessarily that Klopp is saying, Lovren is the best defender in the world or anything like that. But he's saying on pay, because if you look at Lovren, he's pretty decent in terms of speed. And like he's, he's quick enough for a center back. He's strong enough, definitely for a center back. He's really good in the air. You, you, you can't argue with that. Lovren is one of the better center halves in the air. Um, and, and he's very aggressive. He's a very front foot defender. So on paper, he does have all the attributes. It's just, I think, the mental side of the game for Lovren is what lets him down. And for Klopp, it's like a pet project for him. He's trying to prove that there is a player in there. And I don't think Klopp will be satisfied until he gets that out of Lovren. Like, especially because Klopp is a, is a coach first and foremost, than necessarily a manager. He he loves to improve players, and he's so determined to improve Lovren to this level of... And you can clearly see, I think people are always wondering, you know, why does Lovren always give these interviews, and why is he always more confident than necessarily his abilities? But I think that also stems from the conversations he has with Klopp. Because Lovren, whenever you hear him speak, he thinks he's the best defender in the world. And I don't think you'd necessarily think that unless you're getting some sort of 
confirmation from your mm. manager or the coaching staff that yes, you you can be the best in the world. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's I, I I'll be interested to see if and when or if at some point Klopp does decide to let Lovren go because he's clearly not good enough to be a Liverpool player in my opinion. Um, and obviously I could be wrong, but based on history, we just know what we're going to get from him. And to expect anything different, I think is, is, is a bit wishful thinking. Whereas I have a feeling Klopp wants to get it out of him at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a fair point. So I think pretty much evidenced by his whole time at Liverpool. I mean, Lovren's been, uh, I know Matip's took his place a couple of points, but Lovren's always been in the first team. He, as, as long as he's been fit, he's been, even this season, Joe Gomez and Van Dijk have had the, had the best partnership in Europe, uh, as you said, but we still had those games where Lovren came in. Gomez mm-hmm. went to right back, annoyingly, um, but yeah, there is definitely, some some love, possibly here after after the game the other day, <laughs> but there's definitely a relationship there that, uh, as you say, managers just seem to have them. Uh, whether you call it a blind spot or a or a pet project, shall we say? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think we won't go too much too much darker into the uh, Lovren thing. I'm sure many people have listened to Raw if if you're a pro subscriber and let. You expected Dave to go off and on, and he did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we'll come on to um, probably one of the key moments of the game, which it kind of started our comeback, which obviously didn't end in a proper comeback. But Fabinho came on, I think it was like the 60-odd minute, 64th minute, I think it was. But uh, Cyberundish tweeted some stats. I'm just going to go through these and then... Obviously, we started with Fabinho uh, in, in what we'll talk about his actual impact. But um, Liverpool has 42% possession until Fab came on. From that moment until the end of the game, he had we had 66%. Nine touches in the box before and 12 after. Obviously, um, a lot less minutes in there as well. City lost possession every 4.4 minutes before. 3.01 minutes after. City had final 1.9 final third passes per min before. Then it was 0.89 after. And then City had 6 passes into our box after Fab came on. Liverpool had 11. Before 57th minute, Man City had 28 to our 10. Um, and if you want to go, if you, if you don't want to re-listen to me saying that, just go look on size. Um, Twitter, maybe you'd be able to find it quite easily. But um, to do, obviously, we mentioned that Fabinho should have started and 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 stuff like that. But obviously, game state comes into this and and, and etc. But I mean, Fabinho just he just added what we were talking about. Someone who could get on the ball. If someone went to press at him, you just laugh at him and then keep it. Obviously, he passes forward more than anyone else in our midfield. That because Kater obviously hasn't played too much. Um, but he just he just came on and changed the dynamic of the midfield, didn't he? Yeah, and obviously you you do have to weigh it to the fact that um, he's coming on at a different point in the game to necessarily the the game that let's say Henderson and Milner started in. Um, but I think the difference for me was the fact that City knew they couldn't press. Um, Fabinho. And you could see one or two times where I think it was Bernardo Silva did try and press him when he got the, cause obviously they had the instruction of whenever Henderson has the ball, you press him. Or, you know, when Milner has the ball, I think it was, there were certain times when Milner had the ball where City were trying to stop Robertson from pushing forward. So they would press from, like the, from Milner's left hand side coming in. So they'll sort of circle into, into him, if that makes sense, to make sure mm. he doesn't have that pass to Robertson. And you could see, uh, Bernardo Silva still had that instruction in his head when Fabinho came on. And there were a few times where he did try and circle that way. And basically Fabinho just dropped his shoulder and stepped inside him and still made the pass. And every time, if you notice, Pep would just lose it. And be like, no, 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 like, you, we've changed, like, it's, it's not the same as when Milner was there. You know what I mean? So they clearly had the respect of Fabinho in that don't press him because he'll just dribble past you or he'll find the right part. Cause he is a player. That's one of his characteristics 
as a player is he's very comfortable on the ball. He knows where everyone is on the pitch. You can see him looking around just before he gets the pass and he knows exactly what to do afterwards. So it's a different type of game that he plays. And that's why I we thought he was so critical to start this game because he would have allowed us to negate some of City's pressing, um, which would have given us a bit more freedom. But um, when he came on, I thought even Henderson looked better. So it's not mm. necessarily just saying Henderson well, he, is bad. Well, he moved to the box-to-box. Box, well, not what He moved to the wider midfield role, didn't he? Exactly, well? yes. And you could see Henderson was now, he had more freedom to pass the ball because Fabinho could step away from one or two players. And when you step away from two players against a team that's pressing, it just creates so much more space for everyone else because you've taken two players out of the game. You know? Um, so, like I was saying, it's just about putting the right personnel into the right situation. So Henderson could still have played a role in that game. It's just he can't play the role of being the one that's being asked to circumvent the press. And Fabinho allowed him to play the game that suited him more. Um, but I still thought, on, in terms of substitutions, because Fabinho, I thought, should have come on at least by, at half time when mm. we could all clearly see it wasn't working. Even before the game, he should have started. But okay, you play the first 45 and you're like, okay, dude, okay, I was wrong. You hold your hand up, I was wrong. Fabinho come in, right? But Klopp obviously wanted to relay instructions and allow the team to, to to work their way out of it. And it's one of Klopp's characteristics. And it's why the players love playing for him because he gives them that confidence of, no, okay, they had you in that half, but I still believe you can do it, type thing. Um, but he comes on and then... As soon as he comes on, we score a goal um, on the 64th minute. And then as soon as we score that Firmino goal, Man City make a substitution on the 65th minute and bring Gundogan on to circumvent the, the change in midfield because we had moved to midfield two. So mm. they immediately make a, a substitution on the 65th minute. And we don't react to that change. And City go on to score in the 72nd minute. And then on top of that, we wait until the 77th minute to make a substitution. Um, and in that substitution, you know, we're 2-1 down. And then he takes off an attacker to bring on an attacker when I thought he could have taken off a midfielder. You know, you, I thought he could have gone for it. But once again, you could see that tactically, maybe for today, Klopp wasn't necessarily on it. Um, but yeah, in terms of contribution of when he came on, I thought Fabinho had a very decent game. Very decent game, especially coming on to such a fast-paced game, coming on cold. Sometimes players do struggle, but I thought he did well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think our next league game is Brighton, so he he has to start that game. I know Brighton aren't the best, but Fabinho, one of the first names on the team sheet, as I mentioned earlier, um, should play every Premier League game. I think he's getting to that stage where he's that important. Um, So we'll come on to our goal. Um, I mean, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but to do obviously, I think you you will have watched it back. I, I've seen the goal back on Twitter, but I didn't realise how good a move it actually was. I thought it was just a, a lovely pass by Trent and Robbo, but we kept the ball well for, for it must have been a couple minutes. It was it was a lovely yeah. move, and and it was at that time period where City was still trying to figure out what our new formation was and how we were playing. So it was a really important time to get the goal because they hadn't quite figured it out yet. And you can see um, the freedom that it allowed Henderson because I think he's the one that does play the ball out to to Trent. And I think that was probably the first time in the game that Henderson had the space to play a ball out wide, a low-driven ball out wide, where he's forced into the pass. It just naturally... You know, he can play a crisp, natural pass out wide, and Trent has space to run at Sané. So, once again, it, it spoke to the tactical change that we did make at that point in time, which was good. And Trent gets the ball out wide on the right-hand side, and he fakes to cross, and Sané gets sold, like, straight away. He jumps up thinking it's going to, he's going to block the cross, and it allows Trent to come inside. And as he comes inside, you can see the movement just in front of him. Um, and it just it it allowed the field to be opened up for him, and Robertson made a really good run, you know, in behind. And I wasn't sure if Trent had seen him, 
Um, but he luckily sees him, and also the execution of the pass was really, really good because that's a difficult ball to play on your weaker foot. And then Robertson also does well to have the control to play that back cross goal to to Firmino. Um, I don't know if it works the same, but usually if a ball comes across like that, I would be tempted, but maybe just because naturally I'm a forward in when I play. So naturally I would have been very keen to either head that at goal or volley that depending on where it was falling. Whereas he does notice Firmino on the back post and he just lays it off very coolly to him and it, it was a really good build-up. Yeah, um, today we're, we obviously Firmino scored, I almost forgot he scored because of the actual move. Um, but he scored a hat-trick against Arsenal, as we know, and obviously scoring against Man City. Had a bit of a tough season, I think it's fair to say, but um, is, he, is, he, is his form turned the corner, so to speak, no? Um, the fact he's scoring is, is, is an added bonus and, and that he's scored so much in the last two games. But for me, I, I don't know. I, I don't really pay too much attention to whether Firmino is scoring or not. I pay more attention to how he's helping the build up because mm. we, we have enough in Mane and Salah. Those are the two that I expect to score the goals. When, when Firmino scores, it's always like, Oh, that, that's cool. That's nice. But I'm more interested because he's more important to our build-up play and how we attack than necessarily him being on the end of things. Usually, if he's starting things, it, it, it's, it's a lot better than necessarily if others are starting things and he has to finish them off. So him scoring, look, it, were, it was basically good attacking instinct for him too. You can see him, he's standing next to company as the ball goes over the top to Robertson and he just brushes off company and gambles that Robertson is going to cross the ball and he heads it in. He's got a free header and you can see company look behind him to sort of ask where was the left back. And I'm sitting there chuckling thinking, no, but you were the one marking him. Like they were clearly, they literally were, in, were arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder as the ball's going over the top. And as Robertson's crossing it, Firmino just pushes himself off company and gets low for the header and company's expecting the left back to get him. I, I don't know why he was expecting someone else to get him, but it is a really good goal at an important time of the game where um, where hopefully you're, you're hoping our team can hold on. And maybe that's why our reaction to changing the, the, the team again was, was so long after the, um, afterwards by Klopp. But yeah, maybe Klopp was just banking on, well, we, we haven't conceded two all season. So I, I I bank on us to to not screw this one up, but yeah. In terms of Firmino, it's good that he's scoring again. Um, it 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 helps in terms, I suppose, of the public opinion of him. In terms of oh, he's he's he never scores enough goals. But for me, it never really is about that with Firmino. If he gets ten goals in a season, I'm cool. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm more um I'm I'm more interested in his build up play. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think even in that regard, he kind of not suffered, but he wasn't the same as he was last season when he yeah. was kind of moving between the ten and nine position. So I think it, overall he's got better as well. Um, I think we're nearly up to an hour now, but um, we'll we'll have to talk about the second goal. <sighs> God, Lot Lovren. I think he played Sterling on side, who who ends up. Um, Making a run through, and it ends up with Sane. As you as you said earlier, he hits the post and it goes in. But I mean, in in that situation, Trent's pretty much buggered, isn't he? Because one on one, chasing back. I mean, Sane is going to win that all the time, isn't he? Yeah, you expect Sane to win that all the time, and even just the game of inches, in the sense of if you looked um, after the the money shot hit the post. When Salah was following in to try and hit it in, and when the ball bounced just before Stones cleared it, Salah was clearly angling to now pass it into the net. Mm. So where his his foot was pretty high because obviously the ball is going to bounce higher than where Stones connected to clear it, and um, Salah would have just um, passed it in. Whereas if Salah had the mentality of I'm going to block Stones's clearance, he would have had his foot a bit lower. And he probably, it probably would have gone in via deflection type thing. 
Um, whereas, and then if you flip it around and you look at the Sané goal, um, Trent, his foot is slightly higher because you're expecting a player to lift that ball a little bit because on the ground, it, he literally had to hit the post and it go in for him to get that in because Allison had covered the angle well. Um, so the only way he was going to score other than hitting the post and getting in was slightly lifting it where it just goes above the keeper's hand. Um, which is probably what Trent was anticipating. Um, so you just have to take your hat off to him in the sense of that's a brilliant finish. It's it, it, the chances of that going in. I think I, I can't remember what the stats were, but it was really, really low um, expected goal that one. So you just have to take your hat off to him for executing it. And then Sterling, look, people always chime about how he never has a good game against Liverpool, but he he comes up with the assist. Um, mm. for the goal so fair play to him I, I, I'm a fan of Sterling I'm, I don't hide that I, he's one of my favourite players um, and at some point in time he was going to to you know get an assist and at some point he is going to score against us it's just one of those things but I was more like I said the fact that Lovren is behind everyone else in the line that's just Lovren like I, I can't blame him Um but yeah, it was it was just frustrating to concede so quickly after having scored. I thought we would have slowed the game down a lot more, and then tried to go and go for that 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 winner. But we still kept that frantic pace, and that I think played into City's hands. Well, it was weird. I noticed after we scored, um, I think Allison was taken up. Someone passed back to Allison. And, and he he was almost time wasting, so I, I was thinking that we were trying to do that. But as soon as as soon as he as soon as he got away from Allison, we kind of didn't calm it down, as you said. So exactly, maybe yeah. maybe there was some cross channels there, and there was a mix of play. But it was just weird that obviously you'd expect Allison to be one of the leaders and generals on the pitch. He he was trying to calm it down, but maybe obviously it's harder for the outfield people to keep keep it controlled, especially against Man City. But um. Yeah, it was just it was just very weird um, to see see those cross channels there. But um, yeah, I mean it, it's a, it's a world deep finish by Sane, and I, I, I think you mentioned the XG. I think it was like one to one point three overall. So it kind of it it, it kind of shows um, the quality on show, the quality of goals there. Um, but yeah, I mean the only other really talking point from our point of view towards the end of the game, I, Shakiri comes on and drops a horrendous performance. <laughs> That's about it, um, and obviously we have that Salah chance. Uh, obviously, I, it was a very difficult chance. I think it was going wide anyway. Edison makes the save regardless, but um, yeah, I mean that 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 that's been the game. But uh, obviously we've got Wolves next today, and, and, and this would probably be a bit more relevant beyond that game. But uh, Wolves and Brighton next. I mean, are you expecting a completely changed team for Wolves, and what are you expecting v Brighton? Yeah, like I said, for the Wolves game, I'm hoping for a change in team. But with Klopp, you never know. He could have the mentality of, I'm going to put the same team out there just to prove I was right. And then they're expected to go and shake this City defeat off of them. Um, it's in the realm of possibility. But I am I am hoping that it's a completely different team, especially those players that have played every minute of December. In terms of Salah, Van Dijk and Allison. please, Klopp, just don't play them. They do need a rest. Everyone needs a rest every now and then. Um, the likes of the Sturridge's, um, Shakiri having 90 minutes, those are the type of players I'm expecting to at, at least get a good run out there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I have an expected team and I have a, a team that I wish to have. The expected team has a lot more of the players that played against Man City, which I don't know if necessarily is the right thing. But the problem for us is Wolves are a very good team this season and we're going to Wolves. And for them, this is going to be like a league league game. So they're probably going to have a strong team. So that will be the only thing. It, it very well could be, in inverted commas, a hiccup. But I think if we go out of the FA Cup, I'm, I'm really not going to mind. The only thing that will matter for me is that Brighton game, how the players react to the league defeat, not necessarily the FA Cup defeat. But I suppose losing in the FA Cup, you can see the me, because look, it's it's not a secret that Liverpool aren't everyone's favourite club. We're probably one of the least favoured clubs 
in terms of just general football fans. So you can see if we lose to Wolves, which I think is a, it is a possibility considering if we do make changes and stuff like that and they're going to take this game like a cup final, is that the media and social media, they're going to really get at Liverpool like, oh no, they've lost two games in a row, like they're collapsing, like that's going to be the, the narrative going into the Brighton game. So I think the Brighton game is really where, like I said earlier, the James Milners and the likes are really going to be important off the pitch to just calm everyone down and make sure that we get focused again, get that win against Brighton and make sure we don't start like sliding because City lost two league games in a row, I think it was. Whereas Mm. I don't, we could lose two games, but it won't be two league games. And then you go into that Brighton game, it's a game we should be winning. And then before the Bayern game, we have Brighton away, Crystal Palace at home, Leicester at home, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home. If we can win all of those games, or at least, well, you expect to win all of those. But if we win all of those, that then just shakes off that City result. And we have to remember at the end of the day, we are four points ahead of City. So all effectively we have to do, and Simon Brandish famously coined, beat the dross and we'll win the league. Don't worry about the big games. You know, even if we, let's say, draw to Man United later on, we'll still be three points ahead. You know what I mean? That type of mentality. Um, we're still a draw and a win ahead of Man City. They, and they have to win every single game. That's the part people always forget. Yes, if we lose two games, they could go ahead of us, but they would have to win six. And it, you know what I mean? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's just that aspect of it as well. But, this city team is the best assembled squad in Europe. It's the best or one of the best Premier League squads ever assembled. And we have to take that into account. So it's very possible that city do go on a, on a run over the next five games. So it's important for us just to get, get the wins, just get the wins out of the way. And then once the Champions League game comes, we've got Bayern and then Man United after that buying game. So once again, it'll be interesting to see which Klopp pays more attention to. You know the one I'm, I'm hoping he pays more attention to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, that, I think that's a good way of finishing up. I, I do agree we got to, uh, we got to bounce back and that, that fixture list uh, you read out there, it's almost, it's almost perfect touch wood um, to bounce back. And as you say, we, we, we could and should win all those um all those games you mentioned, but um, and it's Klopp's it's Klopp's worst month of the year. Remember, uh, I mean, Jan- January he only gets about one point four points per game. I was trying to so finish on a positive. <laughs> so the positive is we're four points above in the league, and it's still in our hands. Nah, you've ruined it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah. Ho- hopefully, we can undo another voodoo in, in, in that in the in the January curse. But um, we'll finish up there today. And um, you got anything to plug? Um, I will for the future tense. Tomorrow we should be doing a transfer podcast. Um, with Justin Wells. So I actually just need to confirm that with him, but it is penciled in for tomorrow, so people should look out for that one. Liverpool have already done some business. Um, unfortunately for fans, maybe it's business going out than necessarily coming in. But um, Solanke's gone to Bournemouth, and um, for for a permanent deal, I think it was 18 million mm-hmm. with add-ons, which is incredible considering we got him basically for free. And then um, Klein has actually gone to to Bournemouth as well on loan. So that will be interesting to see whether um, whether the, the fact that Klein is gone means that we're looking to bring in reinforcement at the back um, or if it means um, that one of the youngsters, um, I think the the left back we, we signed... Um, Kia Jan Hoover. Yeah, Kia Jan Hoover. Um, he's been impressing for the youngsters. So it will be, it'll be interesting to see if he... If it means he's going to be coming on to maybe deputize on the bench, or if it means maybe like a Camacho, who we saw in preseason, is mm. going to be now the designated fullback backup. Um, so yeah, Klein leaving on loan. Let's see. Let's see if we bring some reinforcements in for the fullbacks, and then also Solanke going on permanent. I think that's more to do with the fact that Brewster will be back. Yeah. Maybe maybe we kept. Um, we kept Solanke on just just to make sure 
that Brewster does come back okay. And then now that we've gotten the clear that Brewster will be coming back okay, then I think it's allowed us the freedom to sell Solanke and not even just loan him, just straight out sell him, which will be an interesting talking point for, for that transfer part, I think. Yeah, yeah, do check that podcast out, and I am totally expecting Fekir Friday to be mentioned in every one of these podcasts. <laughs> Live with hope. Um, but uh, thank you for joining me today, you and thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Let's get ready to rumble! Podcast Network.